Hey, what's up, knuckleheads? This is David Creek, Minister of Westchester Church. And we have a new website up, and that website can be accessed at westchestercfc.com. westchestercfc.com. And all of this, this calendar year, we will be going through the Sermon on the Mount, entitled, A Sermon on the Mount Christianity. And we are still on the Beatitudes at this moment. And so without further ado, I will get on with this week's message entitled simply, but rather profoundly, the pure in heart. May all of those who hear be profoundly blessed. Much love to you all. Well, I know it's hard for us to even imagine this, but at one time, everything that we, we know about this world and about this earth and about this universe once it was nothing but a blank canvas where our very first image of God is not as God the Redeemer but rather as God the an artist and so we see this divine artist standing at a blank canvas when when this is what the world had looked like where it says in the book of Genesis that that this entire world was was formless and void and that that there is nothing but darkness over the surface of the deep. Imagine a world like this. And yet in that first chapter of Genesis, we, we see this divine artist at, at his easel. And he uses every single color in his palette. He creates a moon and a sun and a world and he creates the wind. I mean, everything that we know that is good in this world He's the architect of it all. Amen. And I love how it says that, I mean, how just one masterpiece stroke of genius after another, it says that, that as God looks at all of this that he had made, both the world and everything within it, it says that, that God looked at it and it was good. He looked at the sun and that was good. He looked at man and that was good. He made woman and that was really good. Right, brothers? Everything that he has made is good. And yet then, on the seventh day, what does he do? We know that he rested his brush on that seventh day. And I think for a long time, I had misunderstood who God was in that sense. I used to think, well, okay, God the Creator... God the painter rested his brush on that seventh day, and then when he laid his brush down, then from now on, he's going to be God the Redeemer, God, God a Father to his people one day. And yet a very close look at the Scriptures shows that, that there would actually be many more times when the divine artist would once again have that brush in his hand. And he would return and, and he would paint brand new worlds and he would speak brand new galaxies into existence that had never existed at any point before. And mainly what I am remembering as far as that goes is in Psalm 51. As we hear King David, I mean, pouring out his heart to God, both in song as well as in a prayer. As we hear David say, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That, as he says clean, or rather as he says the word heart in the Hebrew, it means heart. 
But it does not mean that cartoonish red figure in our chest that, that a lot of us imagine when we hear that word heart. But rather, what is conveyed in the original he Hebrew language is the heart as well as our minds. It is our affections, our desires. In a nutshell, it is who we really are in, in, there in our inner core as human beings. But really, what I marvel at the most and what I learn the very most in that message that King David praised to God is that word create. It is the Hebrew word bara, which means to bring something into being where there was absolutely nothing there at any point in history. What David is saying, in other words, as he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, is that, God, I have never once in my life had a clean heart. I've never had a pure heart, but man, I want one. And so he, he is just pleading with God, please return to your easel, return to a blank canvas, and create something within me that has never before existed. He wants a clean heart. See, what we learn in this psalm, there in Psalm 51, is that having clean hearts, having pure, pure souls and pure spirits, these are whole new worlds. These are brand new galaxies that have not yet come into fruition. And they are masterpieces that only God himself can create within us. But I just want to go back to King David for, for a moment, though, because that's, that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Because as it was expressed a moment ago as we started, David is the man after God's own heart. And yet David is saying here that I want you to create a clean heart within me. You see, he was the man after God's own heart because of his faith, I believe, mainly. Everybody else is absolutely terrified of Goliath. Won't go anywhere near this guy, but... Of all people, it is among the very youngest and the very smallest, David, who says, you know what? There's nothing to that. God has delivered me from, from lions and from bears. I mean, what is this guy? God will deliver me from his hand today. And he did. He's a man after God's own heart because he didn't just merely know stuff about his God. I mean, David was absolutely... He was insanely in love with his God. Man, last week in our song and prayer service, our brother Walter, as he read Psalm 63, I don't know about you guys, but the way that he read that, that, that stuck with me all week long. I mean, I was laying in bed late at night, just, I could still hear his voice, just so much passion and love for the text and for his God. And it just shows me that we can know all there is to know about Scripture. But when Jesus can get into our hearts, when Jesus can get into our souls, and we start to actually cry as we just think about how much we love Him, this is when this thing really starts to really get off the ground as far as being Christians goes. This is what he wants. I mean, Psalm 63, David, David writes love songs to his God saying that I think about you all throughout the night when I'm lying on my bed. This is a man 
who is in love with his God. You see, this is exactly what, what God had been looking for in a king because Saul already has been a failure as a king many times over. And so what God wants, God says, he says, but now your kingdom shall not endure. He's speaking to King Saul. He says, the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept the word which the Lord has commanded you. This is what the job description was. It's not so much about how tall of a king he is or, or how, how handsome he is, but what matters is his heart. He's got to be a man who is chasing and pursuing my very own heart as a man chases after a woman's heart. And so as the time comes, we, we see God speaking to the prophet Samuel, saying, Samuel, I, I want you to go to the house of a man who's, whose name is Jesse of Bethlehem. And he's got all these sons, but, but one of his sons I have anointed as our very next king. I want you to just go there. And so Samuel has a lot of guesses to make. I mean, which one of his sons is it? God hasn't said what his name is. And so he goes inside the house and he sees the very oldest of the sons. Now, it's got to be that one. It's this one, isn't it, God? God says, nope, keep trying. And he goes to another of his sons and... He's the very tallest, perhaps, and the most intimidating as far as his appearance goes. This has to be the king. He looks like Saul. Nope. He goes down son, son three, son four, son five, and all seven sons except for this very last one. God says there is still one more of his sons. He's out in a field somewhere. So one who you would never expect to be my king. And yet, that is the one whom I have designated because, again, he's a man after my own heart already. This is what God wants. God says, do not look at his personal appearance, at his stature, at his height, at his frame. I have rejected all of that stuff. He says, man can only see the outward appearance, how people look. But that is not how God sees when God sees, God can see right into our hearts. God can see what is the most important thing within a man. I mean, God knows our hearts. And in so many ways, I wish that I could go back to having the kind of heart that I had when I was 18 months old. In fact, here is what I look like at, at 18 months old. This is me with my, my mom. This is 1985. Look how little I was. I mean, I can see why Jesus would say that the only way that we are, are ever going to enter into his kingdom is if we, we have a heart of a child. I mean, I am completely reliant upon my mother and father here, as well as God. This was a time when, when I believed God could do anything, anything that he wanted to. And yet then we start getting a little bit older and all these worries and anxieties start creeping in, right? This kid has a long, long road ahead of him in the world. And as pure as that heart was, I mean, it, it's just inevitable for us. Our hearts are going to undergo corruption. 
Our souls are going to be contaminated with all kinds of sin. Our spirits are going to be polluted with all kinds of darkness. And this is what has happened to the man after God's own heart. It all starts as all the other kings are, are far away at war, except for King David. Red flag. He's up on his rooftop one night, and all it took was just one look. And then another look. And then one really, 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 really long look after that. He looks down, and there is the most beautiful woman he ever laid eyes on, and she's doing a zestfully clean you know, commercial downstairs. She, she's having a shower outside. Now, we don't know if this is something innocent on Bathsheba's part, or maybe Bathsheba knows exactly what she's doing, standing right there. We don't know. But what we do know is, is that the man after God's own heart in this moment in time, that heart is no longer beating for God. That heart, which was once seeking God's own heart, now it is seeking somebody else. It's a woman who is not his wife. And, I mean, it's, it starts off so beautiful, but this is what our hearts and souls look like. We remember many years ago, how we had all those commercials about this is what your brain looks like on drugs. Well, this is what our hearts look like on lust, on greed, jealousy. I mean, whatever it might be that, that, that infiltrates our um, hearts, this is what our hearts look like, blackened hearts, full of poison and corruption. And we see it happen so many times with Israel. God is chosen Israel as his people, but they, they have had hearts that are very hard now. Or as God says in the days of the prophet Ezekiel, hearts of stone. And so he says that I'm going to take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your very own place. Then I'm going to sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. Notice then how he says that I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to put a new spirit within you. And I'm going to remove, I'm going to break down, I'm going to thaw this heart of stone that you have developed from your flesh, and I'm going to give you a heart of true flesh. Because I'm going to put my spirit within your hearts. And I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe all of my ordinances. He's speaking to a people who had all of the, the head knowledge in the world, but, but they were just lacking the most important thing to accompany all that knowledge. And that is having a heart that is pure for God. I've come, in, I've come across a lot of people in the church who resemble this guy right here, the Grinch. Now, as you might remember, what the Grinch's main problem was is that his heart, he had this tiny little heart inside of his chest. As it says, his heart was three sizes too small. And of all places in the church where God has set us free, where, where every day of our lives is like a Super Bowl victory, I grew up with all kinds of people in the church who look like this all the time. Get ready for it. This is what they look like all the time. They look like the Grinch. 
And the reason for that, I believe, is because their, their hearts were three or four sizes too small. They came into a worship gathering for all the wrong reasons, looking for, for who I could correct in a Bible class, showing that, that I know more about the Bible than anybody else here, being very insecure about their own sins and taking that out on other people in judgmental ways. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And yet I think the main problem that we experience as Christians is in the movie of The Wizard of Oz. For the last three or four weeks, I've been singing if I, um, a song of the Scarecrow nonstop out of that movie, and it's driving my wife nuts around the house, but it goes, if I only had a brain, and she said, that's probably not a song you want to sing in public, if I only had a brain. You know, I, I could see where she's coming from. I think a lot of our politicians also sing that song a lot of the time, but but I'm not, well, I, I've already gone there, but, but we remember the guy in the middle there who is a tin man, and he sings the exact same melody, but, but what he sings is, if I only had a heart. But he's got everybody else fooled. Everybody else thinks that he's just a perfect man. And here's what he says. remember how just before this happened that that he's just standing there frozen in place he can't even move all he can do is just just mumble and moan he's frozen in place and i just think that is exactly what the church looks like when when we don't have a heart we're just kind of standing here frozen in place and we we just can't do anything because we don't have that heart yet I remember how, how on one occasion, Jesus is confronted by some religious types. And what they say is, why don't you and your um, students follow our tradition of the elders and wash your hands in a very, you know, very elaborate way? And what Jesus says is, is that you proclaim to love God with your mouths, but your hearts... They are far. I mean, they, they are galaxies away from me. And he goes on and he says this. He says, for, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. And his main point is, is that it's not really so much about the outward act of religiosity that matters. But what they should be so much more concerned about is all of this corruption within their own hearts. And I think so often in the church, we, we equate the Christian life with just accumulating a whole bunch of trivia about God and about the scriptures and about how we think that we are in a position to all decide who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven, who the real Christians are and, and who the false churches are and all of that. And, but what God wants is hearts that are completely in devotion to Him. 
And all of a sudden, that song takes on a very haunting quality in this sense, is that as I think about the church, I mean, so many times in the past, I can just hear those words, if we only had a heart. I mean, what would the church look like if we actually had a heart again? I'm just thinking out loud. I mean, I mean how would that song go for us? Just to register emotion, empathy, compassion, we'd have a heart like his. We'd be friends with the Baptists. If loving neighbors was our practice, we would even love the Catholics with a heart that wasn't cactus. If we only had a heart. And yet a lot of us don't really have that heart just yet, do we? I don't completely have that heart just yet. But like David, I want to have that heart more than life itself. Well, David sings this song way before the Tin Man ever did in Psalm 51. This, of course, comes as the prophet Nathan comes to David and says, David, he says that, that you are the man who has done all of these horrible things. Now, when I was younger, I had read that and I thought that, that it was 90 slang. David, you are the man. Up to No. He's saying that you've got all of these women, you've got all of these wives, but that's not enough for you. You, you have to have another man's wife who only has just that one wife. And then David comes to this very painful realization that, man, what have I done? David has, in just two acts, with Bathsheba as well as having her husband murdered on the battlefield, David is guilty of just about all of the Ten Commandments if you really look at them one by one. Six things which the Lord hates in Proverbs, David has done just about every single one of these things in just two acts. And I mean, when sin creeps into our hearts, it's something that is very, very intoxicating and disorienting where, where it's just all that we can really process in our minds as we are doing it. And yet in your Bibles, in Psalm 51, I would like to read what comes before that statement that he makes about creating a clean heart within him. Psalm 51. He begins at verse 1 and says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is now ever before me. In other words, at one time, the only thing on his mind had been Bathsheba. How can I get Bathsheba? How can I get Bathsheba in my bed tonight? And then after that, it was, well, her husband's in the way. So, so how can we cover this up? And yet now the only thing on his mind... The only thing that is keeping him up at night is, I have done some horrible, horrible things that I cannot take back. Verse 4, he says, Against you, you only, I have sinned, and I have done what is evil in your sight. Verse 5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And I know that there are a lot of people in the religious world who, who take this literally about original sin, about how, 
how when we're born, we are already corrupted with sin. But, but what we need to remember about Psalms is that this is a very poetic book. What David is saying so much more than, than that is that there is nothing good or holy which originates from me. I am nothing but a sinner. I mean, David is not blaming his parents for his sin or Adam and Eve. Notice in those first few verses, he's saying, my sin, blot out my transgression, blot out my iniquity. I mean, he says it like, like nine or ten times. And then he says in verse 6, that behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. This is another way of saying Create a clean heart within me. That word heart, again, is not just heart, but it's, it's really who we are as our inner man. Verse 7, he says, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 9, he says, Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all of my iniquities. And then he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. You see, this is remarkable because the man who, who stopped being the man after God's own heart wants to be the man after God's own heart all over again. And just as this, this earth had been formless and void all of those years and full of darkness, David is confessing to God, my very heart is formless and void. My heart is full of a galaxy of darkness. I need you, God, to clean and to scrub this mess up. And never was David the man after God's own heart more than here in Psalm 51. You see, a clean heart is the masterpiece process of the divine creator. One stroke of genius after another. But we have to see, though, that, that it only comes when we want such a spirit as this within us, more than even life itself. And all of this that we have looked at this morning, this, every last part of it, is what Jesus has in mind as, as he stands hundreds of years later on a sermon, or on a plane, and he gives the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. It, and that word pure is the exact same word which, which King David uses in theory, which is clean heart. It is the mind, it is the soul, it is our, our desires of the inner man. And yet Jesus makes a tremendous promise though, doesn't he? He says that the pure in heart are the ones who will actually get to see God. And we know that, that everybody's going to, quote-unquote, see God as God the judge on the last day. But what this word means is you're going to look upon him. But my favorite meaning of this word, see, that you will see God, is that you're going to experience God. And if there's anything that we have learned about what the kingdom is at this point in the series, is that the kingdom is not just future tense but that living with God's kingdom in our souls is so much more what Jesus has in mind here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall experience and they shall see the Lord in their lives. Our fellow man, 
our church, the way that we see the world is all going to radically change when our heart's greatest desire is to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we bring all of this to a close this morning, as it is every week, the most important component is, okay, we have learned about it, but now what are we going to do about this? How can we embody what we just read and put, put legs and feet on it? And so, I mean, how do we get a heart like this that Jesus is speaking about here? Well, we've got to go back to the very beginning. As I believe David does here, he goes back to that blank canvas. We need to go back as, as the apostles could have gone back. Simon Peter, that very first time that he spoke with Jesus, he says, go away from me, Lord, because I am a very sinful man. And yet, as Jesus calls all of these, these men, while they're at work, by the way, I mean, they just drop everything and they say that I will follow this man wherever he goes. I don't care what it costs me. I'm following Jesus. You see, this is who we were as we, we came up from the waters of baptism. We, and we've got to mentally go there again. And yet, lastly, we must plead. We must do exactly what the man after God's own heart had done. We've got to plead with the Creator to once again lift up his artist's brush. And to paint a masterpiece within our souls. And say, God, create a pure heart within me. A heart that, that can look at anybody and anyone in this world. And that can actually feel a love for those people, no, no matter what they look like or no matter who they are. It's a pure heart which constantly daydreams night and day about God's grace. It's a heart that, that is perpetually mesmerized and in love with the goodness of our God. It's a heart that despises anything that we have in our hearts that is at war with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The question is, is that when we identify what these things are that we have in our hearts that are contaminating them, that are choking the Spirit alive from our hearts, is which one would I rather spend eternity with? Would I rather go down in the flames with whatever it might be? A porn addiction? Jealousy? Greed? I mean, whatever it might be. Or would I rather just let go of those things and spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, the thing about the Grinch is that even though he had a heart three sizes too small, this was the end of of his story. What happened then? What did who tell they say? That the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches. That's exactly what God wants for us. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. They shall experience God. If we want to see His face and if we want to experience Him in this life, we've got to allow Him to create a masterpiece in us day by day, one stroke of genius after another.